All right, y'all, we are back for another episode and another guest today, and we're going to dive into talking about the sensory elements. So many autistic children have challenges with sensory, whether it's sensitivity or they are seeking it out. And so that's exactly what we're going to dive into. So one of the questions I hear a lot is, how do I know if my child has challenges with sensory elements? And then what do I do about it? So that's what we're going to address on today's podcast because sensory elements and factors can really impact your autistic child's daily life. And sometimes these can be the triggers for things like emotion dysregulation or even difficulty with transitions and all of that. And so what we're going to talk about in this episode specifically is first we're going to dive into what occupational therapy is and what an occupational therapist will do, which is who you usually go to if your child is having difficulty with sensory elements. We're going to also talk about how to identify sensory challenges. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to talk more about sensory regulation and just excited to be able to have Dr. Sam Goldman here today. So we'll be diving into that shortly. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life. From providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent, we dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now, let's get to talking to Dr. Sam Goldman. She is an occupational therapist. She actually has her doctorate in occupational therapy, and currently she works at a hospital. She also works in an outpatient clinic doing feeding therapy, as well as has a program for parents to work on the sensory elements of eating. So welcome, Sam. I'm so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, I'm excited to really be able to go in depth on this topic. We know that sensory difficulties are part of the diagnostic criteria of autism, which the old version of how we diagnose, they actually weren't. So this is an updated Mm -hmm. thing. And I think so, so important we want to start diving into what this really looks like and how parents can help support their autistic children. But before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your background, and how you got into this? Yeah. So as Dr. Tay said, my name is Sam, and I am an occupational therapist. I've been an occupational therapist going nine to 10 years now, which wild that it's been that long. I'm like, how? (laughs) Right? I get that. But my husband got transferred a lot for work. And so I moved with him. And so I've had the amazing opportunity to learn from different people in so many different places, ranging from in the actual hospitals with children to schools, to outpatient. So I have a really great knowledge of those different areas and how sensory processing affects all those different areas. And how I got into occupational therapy is actually, I had no idea about it at all. I was in school. I needed to pick my major and I did not know what I wanted to do. And somebody just said, Sam, I think this would be great for you. And I think you specifically would want to work with kids. And yes, like kids was always what I wanted to do. And then OT just made sense because it helps kids live the life they want and it helps empower families. And I love that so much. So that's how I ended up there. 
Awesome. I love that. So let's start diving in just the broad mm -hmm. picture even. What is occupational therapy for and how does a parent know if they even should seek that out? Yeah. So I'm going to start with that really broad definition of OT. And when we say what we do as occupational therapists, we help kids and adults all across the age span live life. So do the things they need to and want to do throughout their days. And we call these our occupations. And so everybody says, oh, occupational therapy, like my kid doesn't need a job. You're like, no, no, it's not our jobs. It's the things we do throughout the day are called our occupations. So for kids, this could look like feeding. It could look like play, going to school, toileting, grooming, all of those things that they need to do on a daily basis. If they're encountering difficulties, we help figure out where those difficulties are coming from and how to help them do it better so they can live their life. So I refer kids to OT all the time. I didn't realize where the name came from yeah. and that it was like <laughs> occupations. So fascinating. Yeah. So that probably left a lot of people like, wait, how does that tie back to my child with autism? And how does that tie back to sensory? And so when we look at it, what we're looking at, so say your child is having a hard time with eating. We're like, why are they having a hard time with eating? And so some of those times we'll get down to the bottom where we're like, oh, their sensory systems aren't working together to allow them to eat. And that's where that sensory portion comes in for families. So when I say to families, how do I know if I need occupational therapy? It is if your child is having a hard time functioning throughout their day, making it through their day in one of those big areas. But it also could be as broad as they're having a hard time playing with other kids. That even warrants a, let's look at this with occupational therapy, because they're going to help you break down those steps and figure out how to do it better. Yeah. And I often think of OT as part of the arsenal of therapies that can be really, really supportive for autistic children because speech language therapy is going to directly address your child's speech and language. You might have someone you're working with, like someone like me, a psychologist, you're working on things like social communication, those restricted repetitive behaviors, as well as different elements and helping it integrate into your daily life. Or sometimes families will do that through ABA therapy or applied behavior analysis. But usually that element is more specific to the autism. And then often mm -hmm. I love adding in OT because there's always some sort of behavior or sensory challenge or transitions or play that can really benefit from that different perspective. I don't know if you find this, but it's hard to find where all the team members really work together because a lot of times they're split across different agencies. I'm lucky through my private practice, I provide a lot of care coordination where I'm leading the charge to be able to talk to all of the different therapists and it's amazing. And what I find is it can be so collaborative to have these different almost mindsets coming together to really support the child. So talk a little bit about just real quick, cause I know we could have an entire episode on this, <laughs> But if a parent is doing OT and their children have these challenges or a parent seeking out OT, tell me what is it gonna look like? What are the type of things that an OT is going to do with their autistic child? Yeah, so I would say there are definitely some commonalities when it comes to kids with autism specifically that we see typically when we get a kid with autism who comes to work with us, they're not really having a hard time walking as much. They usually are pretty good walkers, pretty good runners, 
usually, I think you and I have kind of talked about this, but they say somewhere between 70 to 90% or 30 to 90%, the number is iffy, kids with autism have sensory processing challenges. So a lot of the times we're going to get kids sent over to us for that. That's going to be the reason they come in. However, the other things that they might want to be working on is something like handwriting, something like those other skills, those dressing skills, those planning skills. And the interesting thing is that actually can tie back to sensory as well. So it really is this big whole loop where we come back to that. So I always say to parents, as an occupational therapist, sensory is my jam. So we are the people usually that you want to come to talk to about sensory stuff, but it is not the only thing we do. We use sensory to help in those other areas like handwriting, like eating, like going to the bathroom, getting dressed, but it does tie back a lot of the time. Ooh, I love that idea that sensory is OT's jam. And that's actually a lot of times (laughs) what I'm thinking of. And clearly the numbers on how many autistic children have sensory difficulties are really confusing. But I will say, having done hundreds of diagnostic evaluations at this point, that almost (laughs) always a sensory component is coming in. Again, whether that's seeking it out or trying to remove that sensory element. Yeah. And I usually tell people too, we all have sensory systems. We all have sensory quirks. Sensory can always be used to support any of us. Okay. You keep saying sensory systems. Talk about what that is. (laughs) So when we talk about, let's start with sensory processing, because it's a really big word, but what is sensory that we all hear about? It is our body's ability to take in what we're getting from our senses. So what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we smell, send that message to our brain, interpret it, and then send the message to our muscles of how to respond. So that is sensory processing. Is that three-step process? Now, this is going to be the wild part is that comes from our eight senses. So everybody thinks we have five senses. We actually have eight senses. And so those five senses are the ones you hear about in school, your vision, your touch, your smell, your hearing, and your taste. Those are our external senses. That comes from information outside of our body. Then we have our three, I like to call them our hidden senses, because when I say this in a evaluation set parent, they're like, wait, what? (laughs) They really are, they're hidden and they come from inside our body. So that's going to be our sense of proprioception, which is our body awareness that comes from inside our muscles and our joints, our vestibular sense, which is our sense of head movement and whether we are moving. So I'm going to give a little introduction on that one. If you tilt your head, it comes from your inner ear, actually. So the fluid shifts in your inner ear and your head tilted. And then the last one is our interoceptive sense. And this is our sense of what is going on inside our body. So our body signals, we like to call it, whether you're tired, whether you're hungry, whether you're emotional. So Mm. that is my big little answer on what is sensory? (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I've heard of all these words. I guess I never fully conceptualized them as part of the sensory systems because it's ingrained in our brain in elementary school, what the five (laughs) senses are. But it's really interesting to talk about something like eating or sleeping, the regulatory systems, how much that can be related to sensory challenges. Yeah. And they all work differently from each other and they all relate to each other. So it can be really confusing. It can feel really messy, but when you really start to understand it, you're like, oh, wait, that clicked. And you start to understand how to respond to it too. 
Okay, I'm going to totally put you on the spot. Can we walk through an example that you commonly see working with autistic children and talk about how these different elements come in? Yeah, I'm going to go with the most common thing that I see is usually going to be when a child with autism is usually that vestibular seeker. So the kids come in and I know that's a big word. I am going to explain that. So it is a child who is running around the room. They have a hard time sitting down. And usually that's why parents come to us. And what we get the referral for is I cannot get them to stay seated in class. I cannot get them to stay seated at home. I cannot get them to sit in focus. And so you could see their body is looking for input and kids with autism too, and sensory seekers specifically, which again, I'll explain that word seeker are notorious for climbing the walls, climbing up their swings, doing what we would term as dangerous things. And so when we say seek, their body is not getting that input the way they needed to. Although they are moving and they're looking for movement, their brain isn't processing that they're getting that movement. And so that's usually what we'll see the most of is when I have somebody come in and they are looking for, how do I help my child first just regulate? That is that first step. How do we get them to attend, to sit, to regulate, because until we get that part, we can't move on to the next one. (laughs) I love that you brought up that example because I was thinking attention regulation is often a reason too that I see kids go to OT. And it's really not about the attention though. That might be the presenting problem or what the parent or a teacher is saying as a concern, but it's so much more complex than that. It really is. And one of the things that I really take to heart and that makes me wild is that kids with autism, kids with sensory needs, they're seen as difficult. They're seen as stubborn. They're seen as misbehaving that they are trying to do this. They are often trying to make your life harder, but that is not the case. It is like you said, that presenting problem is that they having a hard time sitting or attending, listening, following directions, but really they're having a hard time in their body and they're just trying to get what their body needs. Okay, imagine we have a skeptical parent listening to this Mm -hmm. of being like, yes, you're describing my kid, but we've tried to work on these things. Maybe they haven't gone to OT though, or maybe they have and it wasn't the right match in terms of OT. I mean, therapist child match, super, super important. But how would you explain what's gonna be done and how you're gonna make progress on this? Well, the very first thing I think that's really important to say is that every single OT is so different because we've all had training from different places. Our schools do not teach this. We get like one session on kids and the sensory system. Really? Yes. So everybody thinks coming out of school, all the OTs are going to know the sensory stuff. And that would be wonderful. And I'm saying this as an OT who came out and felt that way. Unless you had a predecessor who trained you and said, this is what it is. This is what each of those words mean. Or you went out and did training on your own. Not all OTs are going to be the same when it comes to this. So if you're going to someone and you don't feel like it's the right match, that's important. So I want to start there and say that Mm -hmm. from there, when it comes to sessions, what to expect, because a lot of parents give up pretty quick. I would say you're like, I've gone to OT for three to four sessions and I am not seeing progress. Our first goal is not that progress, actually. And everybody thinks we are going to get them regulated right away. No, our goal is to connect with your child first. They need to trust us because if they don't trust us, it's going to be really hard for us to help with their sensory system. We need to do things with our hands. We need to move them. We need to manipulate them. We need to put them on swings. And so if they don't trust us, we can't do that. 
So that's our first step from there. What it's going to look like is really going to depend on your child and their sensory system. So another really common one that we get is kids coming because they have a hard time touching things. So those textures are really difficult. Getting dirty is really difficult. Wearing a shirt is really difficult. That's another really common one. So I'm going to work on something totally different with that child than I'm going to work on with a child who can't sit. And so that's another thing parents to look out for. If your therapist, you don't feel like it's personalized to you and your child. It's the same thing that you think is happening everywhere. That's another thing to look out for. But I would say a typical session in general, what I'm going to do is somebody's going to come in the door. I'm going to want to know what happened last week. I'm going to want to know how they responded to what we tried last week. Then we're going to do a little bit of preparation of the body. I'm always going to do something sensory in the beginning to help them get their bodies to that just right place. Then we're going to work on some kind of skills development. So once they're organized, once they're feeling good, then they can focus. And then at the end, I'm going to want to do a lot of education with that parent because yes, therapy is great. I love therapy. I love all different types of therapy, but across the board, it's more important what you do at home than what we do in our 30 to one hour sessions. One time a week of 30 minutes, which is the typical when it comes to outpatient is not enough to really help your child grow and have those changes. Your therapist needs to educate you on how to respond at home. Yeah. I didn't say this at the beginning of the episode, but Samantha and I connected through Instagram. Actually, no, we initially you know, through a Facebook group. Yes. And then you emailed me and <laughs> I went and searched you on Instagram. And then we ended up, you're right, DMing back and <laughs> forth. But we connected about this topic in Instagram of yeah. like that parent education piece and how what you do outside a session is so much more important than what actually happens in the session. Yeah. So don't be afraid, you know, Sam sounds amazing and that she really educates the parents she's working with. But if you have an OT and they're not really looping you in on what's going on and what they're working on, you know, advocate, be like, I want to keep working on this at home. This is a priority for us. Tell me, what do you want me to do at home? How should I be supporting my child and all of that? And we love that because sometimes when there's another kid in there, you're so busy, you're not thinking about it, but ask your OT because they want to give you the education you need to succeed. Okay. Either parent is already having their child in OT or maybe they haven't sought out OT yet, but what would be just some quick, and I know it's so hard because there's so many different systems, but some quick tips of modifications, supports, or accommodations that parents could make at home or be able to start to help their child have a little bit more of that sensory regulation. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give a little bit of education first, but let's do it because I can't not. <laughs> the easiest way to think about your child's sensory system is like a thermometer. So you have that just right spot where the temperature feels really good. Everything's great. But then sometimes you're too hot. You're too angry. You're too excited. You can't sit down. You're moving around. On the other hand, you can be too cold. You're kind of sleepy and drowsy and you're like kind of hanging. And we always think of autism as those really excited, but there is that other side of it too. Oh, for sure. So what we want to think of when it comes to those quick tips, what can I do that will give my body what it needs to come back to that just right temperature in our thermometer? And so I usually say we're either trying to wake up the nervous system or we're trying to calm down the nervous system. So when we talk about calming down, it's going to be a lot of those same strategies you and I use. We dim the lights. We put on music that calms us down. 
My favorite though, out of everything to calm down the body is proprioceptive input. And so when we talk about that proprioceptive system, our sense of body awareness, we get it through our joints and muscles is things that compress and pull the joints. I don't want you pulling on your kids' joints. Don't go that way from here. But things like bike riding, things like giving your child a throwing activity to do, things like jumping up and down, those are naturally going to provide that calming sensation because it's going to activate those receptors. Now, going from here, there is an important part of this. If your child is a sensory seeker and you do these activities, they often get more dysregulated. So having a point of this activity, you are going to throw this thing into a bin. You are going to jump across to this point. Having that like end goal will help actually integrate that. So I actually want to point this out for parents listening. Your autistic child also might do this sometimes themselves and Mm self-regulate. And this is where we think of stimming. And there's been a lot of controversy in the autism field. Historically, it was about stopping stimming because it quote unquote wasn't neurotypical and we should be giving them something that is more functional. But what we've learned from autistic adults is that it most of the time is regulatory. And so if we stop a child from stimming, we're actually taking that away from them. So real quick, Sam, what conversations are you having with parents about stimming? This exact one, I love that you just said that. Because yes, we really are finding, yes, sometimes parents come in and they want to replace it with something else, but as long as it's not something that's harmful, they're not hitting somebody, they're not injuring themselves. If we see them headbanging, that's a different kind of stim that we need to address. But if they're moving their hands, that is energy. That is them giving out that energy, finding that sensory. This, guess what? That joint is compressing. It's moving. It's changing. That is proprioceptive input at its best. They are doing this to calm their body. So typically what I tell parents, as long as it is not something that is harmful to them or to others, it's helping their body get where they need. However, it's also a clue to us of what kind of input their body needs. Mm -hmm. And maybe if we give it more of that kind of thing throughout the day, we can help them throughout the day as well. Also, just because we're recording this on Zoom, when she said this, what she was doing was modeling flapping of the hands, just so you can visualize that and how it makes sense. (laughs) But yes, oh, I love this so, so much. And I love those tips. Let's go back, rewind a tiny bit. So Mm -hmm. that too cool temperature, throw out a quick few examples there so a parent can be able to identify it. Yeah. So when we're talking about too cool, we're talking about those kids who are maybe a little phased out in the classroom. Maybe you're calling them and they don't seem to respond to their name, even though they can hear, they're not processing it to the brain. So it's those kids who are seen as more spacey, tired, drowsy. When we come to what can we do for them? We want to wake up their body. So how do we wake up our body? We turn on lights, we get moving. Again, proprioceptive input is actually one of those things that can be used for both. It's both calming and alerting. So those same things I gave you, the riding a bike, the jumping, that can also wake up the body. Things like smelling things with scents, like lemon and mint, that wakes up the body. So that's what we want to think of. How can I either cool down my child's body or how can I wake it up a little bit? Yeah. And this is probably stuff you do as well. But one of the things in early intervention work that I teach parents, we're not often thinking about it from a sensory 
perspective, but sensory is definitely related, is talking about your child's kind of activity level and their regulation, and that if they're kind of like over the top, when you're trying to engage them, then you need to be more calming Mm -hmm. in order to get them engaged, versus if they're kind of zoned out and they're not engaged, this is where you might upregulate your positive affect and you become a little bit more animated, which brings their system up with you. And we talk about it from an engagement perspective, But literally, that's what comes to mind as you were describing this is we're helping their sensory system regulate in the process as well. Yeah. And by you doing it and modeling this for them, you're also teaching them the skills they need to do it by themselves later on. I love the idea of you changing what you're doing to show them that. Spot on. Oh, I love this. Okay, so we talked a lot about the sensory elements. Let's go into your pride and joy, your area of expertise, (laughs) and talk about sensory and eating and what you see there. One of the really interesting things is that eating is one of the only things we do in our entire life. There's one other thing that's not PG, but that requires all eight of the sensory systems to work together. So to eat, we need every single one of these eight senses. And so if one or two or three or four of them is not working optimally, it's going to give your child a hard time at the table. And you're going to see this though, as them being difficult at the table, you're going to see them as running away from the table, throwing things at the table. They're trying to tell you that something is not going right, but it might be that hidden sensory system kind of saying, oh, wait, I'm not feeling so good about this. So what that might look like is having difficulty with textures. So eating different foods with different textures, being very brand specific, which is very, very typical in our autism community, being very specific about the colors, the smells, the tastes. So a lot of the times we'll have a lot of kids who will only eat white foods. White foods are the fave. They are very bland. They have no taste. That is like the cornerstone one. I think that we usually get with a very, very typical, difficult sensory system. So All of those things are kind of saying, hey, if they are having a hard time changing what it looks like, if they are having a hard time trying anything new, they're only eating five foods, they're only eating four foods, that's kind of indication like, hey, it's probably time to reach out. Awesome. And we actually did an episode, it was episode 13, all about picky eating in particular and really dove in there. But I love how you're bringing in these different sensory elements. So, okay, I'm going to actually go there because you were talking about the other thing that uses all eight systems. I was actually doing a live Q&A last night in this Facebook community, and it came up a couple times of genital stimming or sexual exploration, that type of thing. Talk about that in terms of sensory, since we're talking about all things sensory right now. It's funny. I think I've only had one child ever that has come to me with that concern. And I think it's because we typically get the younger kids when it comes to therapy. And I think you and I have talked about this as well. There's not as many supports for the older kids, which that's a problem, at least where I live in Florida. We need more of that. But again, that's a sensory thing. It feels when they're doing those kind of things, it feels good in some way. They are giving themselves some kind of input that is helping them calm down. Now, again, we talked about some things that are not so appropriate. So We can't be out in public doing that stuff. What we do instead when it comes to that is we're looking at what for your child, because it could be different depending on each child, what sensory system is that stimulating? What kind of input are they getting? And how can I teach my child to get this in a way that is okay in public, that is okay at home 
And that still gives them what their body really needs because they're doing it because it's helping their body in some way. Absolutely. And in this live, I basically mentioned that, but wanted to pick your brain. But I also talked about too, that sometimes difficulty with social cues, like not realizing that it's not appropriate to do in public and setting clear kind of boundaries and expectations as well. I mean, in general, sexual exploration, it it is typical, but then for some autistic children, it occurs at a higher intensity because of those sensory elements and it can be regulating. So I love this idea of really identifying the function of it and what regulation that it is providing and providing some alternative strategies, especially for in public. Yeah. And when it comes to, like you said, that social boundaries and knowing and understanding the social cues, I absolutely love social stories, books. I'm like the biggest proponent of books to teach kids because they're visual. That's how they learn. And that's so important too, is helping them at where they're at. So Teachers Pay Teachers has a bazillion social books on this kind of stuff for any parent who might need help with it. Oh, that's awesome to know. And we actually did, it'd be episode 10. I don't know if you know her from Instagram, the autism consultant, and she talks a lot about visual supports. Yeah. Great Instagram account. And she teaches a lot about potty training and then also Mm -hmm. visual supports and talked literally about, we know that autistic children understand more effectively using those visual prompts because they're visual learners. So yeah, I love that you bring that up. Okay. Well, before we wrap up and let people know where they can contact you and what you have to offer, anything else in this realm of sensory that you want to make sure that parents hear? The best thing you can do is educate yourself on the sensory systems. A lot of the times we're going to rely on our OTs. We're going to rely on our psychologists. We're going to rely on our doctors to give us that information, but we all do different things. We're all focusing on a million things. And I think parents educating themselves on it and starting to learn about that really helps you connect with your child, identify what your child's going through, understand them. And so an OT can say it, but they're not going to be able to say it and teach it in a couple of sessions the way that a book is, the way that a course is. So I have a couple of favorites that I can send over to you too for the sensory system, but educating yourself, reading these books, getting an idea is really going to help you connect with your child in the way that you want to. Yeah, let's do it. Send them over and I'll include them in the show notes. Talk about people want to learn from you. I know you have your own program as well. Talk about that and where people can connect and learn from you. Yeah. So I do have a program that is all about the senses. It literally goes through eight of these senses. It teaches you what they are, how you give this kind of input, what the red flags are for each sense, and then how this interacts with the table. So how you can look at the table and see, okay, wait, I see that they're doing this. This is the sense that's having a hard time. Now, how can I support them? we didn't actually talk about this yet was the different types of sensory processing difficulties. So there's actually three different types of sensory processing difficulties. And the course takes you through that. It teaches you about that. It helps you understand those different ones and how to choose those right strategies for each kid. So there's that, or I actually have a really exciting podcast launching. It's sensory 101 for parents. So That is a great place to start. And it's episode 15 of my podcast. So the podcast is new, but sensory 101 for parents, and it comes with a self-regulation handout. So you can download the handout and it's going to teach you how to help your child upregulate, how to help them downregulate. So how do you make them hotter or colder? 
Awesome. And we'll link those as well. But real quick, give a sneak peek on, you said there were three types of sensory. (laughs) Can you give a sneak peek on what I know I kind of stuck that in there real quick. So our three different ones are sensory modulation. So that is how excited our brain gets about a sensory input. When I say excited, is it too cold or is it too hot to hearing something? So they hear something and are they paying attention to it? Is it too much? And now they are in a tantrum. Is it too little? And they're not hearing it at all. So that's sensory modulation. And so a kid can have difficulties there. That's where you're going to hear that sensory seeker, sensory over-responder, sensory avoider. Then we have sensory discrimination. That's when a child has difficulty telling the difference between the sensory information coming in. So those are going to be those kids that you tell them to close their eyes. And can you tell that this is a pen and that this is a paper in your hands? And they wouldn't be able to identify that with their eyes closed. And how common would you say that is in autistic children? How often are you seeing that? I would say it's pretty common, sensory discrimination, because it's not only that, but it's also getting confused from the different senses. So not knowing when they're hungry. So they get a message from their belly and maybe they have to go to the bathroom. Maybe they need to poop. And they're like, no, no, I I, I don't feel good. Like I I'm going to throw up, but they just need to go to the bathroom. Oh, wow. So yeah, there's those little messages that are getting kind of missed or they're just being interpreted differently or a alarm will go off. And instead of responding to a fire alarm and walking out to the fire alarm, they're doing something else because they didn't realize that's what that was. Okay. When you describe those examples, I totally see it. The first example, I was like, huh, I don't see a ton of that of the tactile ones. Yes. But okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but yeah. Okay. And then the third one, the third one is going to be our sensory based motor disorders. And I say difficulties. I don't like to say disorders because those aren't often diagnosed as a disorder, but difficulties. So those are going to be our kids who have a hard time with their posture Mm -hmm. or planning out movements. Now this one you are going to know is very typical with autism. So the kids who have a hard time writing, the kids who have a hard time following directions for obstacle courses, learning new movements in their body. That's that third one is those sensory-based motor difficulties. Awesome. I'm glad we actually touched on that at the end because so fascinating. And if y'all haven't figured this out, listening to Samantha throughout this entire episode, she is so knowledgeable. I feel Mm -hmm. like I learned so much in this episode, (laughs) so I know it's going to impact parents. So definitely reach out to her Instagram. Is that the place you primarily live? I would say that's like my main hub right now. It's at Dr. Sam Goldman on Instagram. Perfect. And we'll link that in the show notes as well. So thank you so, so much for being here today. Thank you. All right. That is a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Thank you for listening. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.